if I click open or turn it on, and uh, turn to uh, John chapter 3, verse 22, and uh, we will dive in there in a minute. And um, tonight, I, j- I just want to kind of try to answer perhaps, well, I mean, it's very big questions to answer, but, but try and deal with something of what I think are, have been the big questions that we as a culture, as a society, I suppose, have been trying to answer for an extremely long time now. The questions of where can I find joy in life? Where can I find meaning? Where can I find satisfaction? And uh, I think, at least in the West, we have been trying to find answers to those questions now for an extremely um, long time. And we've tried all kinds of different things in order to try and find answers. And, and I guess, you know, go back long enough, and, and the kind of way in which people tried to answer those questions was through the church, wasn't it? People um, came to church thinking it was going to provide those kind of things, meaning, significance, joy in people's lives. But, but sadly, the Christianity that they were offered in the church was one of primarily religion rather than the person of Jesus. And so surprise, surprise, because it was just an empty legalism, it never really provided those things for people's lives. And so we kind of threw church out the window and, and thought, well, that doesn't work, we'll try something else. And, and, and there was always kinds of things that we tried, you know, say technology and science. We thought technology and science, that will be our, our saviour. That will be the thing that, that provides meaning and significance in our lives. But as those things created a philosophy whereby which we did kind of society, it actually it ended up creating some of the most horrific and, and ugly events of the 20th century, didn't it? And so we tried other things, uh, love and, and relationships. We had the kind of sex revolution of the kind of, the, you know, started in the 60s and um, the rise of uh, LGBTQ and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and the results of that weren't great either. And, and, and the way that LGBTQ people were oppressed and treated was awful. You should never treat people like that. I'm not saying that. But in terms of the sexual revolution, like, People are lonelier than ever now. They, they, they're more likely to live alone. And actually, apparently, they have sex less often than they've ever had before. So, so it didn't work. And, uh, and so we tried other things. You know, the, our capitalist culture tried to persuade us materialism was the answer. Uh, and uh, influence and, and corporate jobs and all the rest of it. And a lot of people made a lot of money out of that idea. But, but the result was that we filled the ocean with plastic and that didn't work either. And so it feels like for years and years and years as human beings, we've been on a quest uh, together corporately to try and find the answers to these questions and, and nothing has worked. Where do I find meaning? Where do I find joy? Where do I, and, and when I say joy, I don't just mean kind of fleeting happiness. I just mean, where do you find like deep, deep joy in life? And you know, and I think perhaps now more than ever, more than ever before, people are actually getting to this point where they're becoming really, really desperate to find the answers to those questions. And, and partly because, I, I, I don't know, if you went out onto the streets of Lancaster and you, and you walked up to random people and, and you asked them that question, you know, where do you think you find meaning and joy, significance in life, you know, what are the kinds of things they would say? I would guess on average most people would say something along the lines of friends and family. Um, it's being with people that I love, uh, it's being with people that I know, and, and, and it's through actually the, the kind of being loved and, and, and giving love and being known and, and knowing others, it's through those things that I find significance and meaning in life, and, and I kind of agree, right, because I think that's kind of, yeah, I, I think that as well, but there are big problems with that as well, because it's just not that simple to be known and to be loved, How, like, is that easy? 
It's not, it's not easy at all. Uh, and in actual fact, lots of us are really scared to be known and to be loved and to be vulnerable with other people. Because if I'm vulnerable with, with one of you guys and, and you see me as I really am, how do I know that you will still love me and that you will still want to know me? And, and, and I can't. I can't know that for sure. And, and so I think lots of people are extremely scared because that's the only place that we can go to. And yet it feels like we can't even go there. And, and so, I don't know, can we ever find meaning? significance, joy, purpose in life. And, and, and so for lots of us, I think, and, and this is us in the building here tonight, but also the people outside, we're finding more and more so that people are becoming extremely anxious and extremely worried because there's this kind of like golden standard that we have to achieve in order to be known, in order to be loved. And unless we can achieve that standard, then we feel like we're never good enough and we'll never be able to experience those things and therefore we'll never have joy, meaning, significance in our lives. And, uh, and I think, practically speaking, that looks very different for different types of people. So, you know, person number one might be the person that has lots of friends, uh, lots of people around them. They're quite an influential kind of person within their social circle, um, but they don't feel like they're loved and they're known for the person that they are. They feel like they're loved and known for the person that they pretend to be. And uh, you, you know what I mean, you, this might be you, right? You put on a front in front of certain people, right? And you, you have a phone voice that you use when you call up the bank. And uh, what, you put stuff on social media and you put it up there on, on Facebook or Instagram, whatever, 30 seconds but you later, you're back there checking, has anybody actually liked it? Uh, or has somebody commented something nasty underneath it? Uh, and after every conversation that you have, you go away and you kind of dissect it in your mind and you're trying to wonder, you know, what did the other person think of me? Do you know what I mean? And maybe at work, you're, you're worried that people are going to find out that you're a Christian. At church, you're worried that people are going to find out that you're doubting that you're a Christian. And so in every kind of circumstance, you're just a bit of a social chameleon, right? Blending in, and it's kind of exhausting. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum, completely different kind of person. And you think, you know, I gave up years ago putting on a front so that, so that people would be impressed with who I am. I just say stuff how it is now. But truth is... You're lonely as well. Like, and in fact, you might be suffering from depression. You might be finding life really hard and, and really dark. Maybe it's that your kids don't talk to you anymore. Maybe it's that you don't really have that many friends. And, and, and you're just kind of, I don't know, you walk down the street and you see happy families walking together and you feel immensely jealous and, and you feel like there's nothing that you can kind of hang your life on that kind of gives you significance and meaning, like whatever, you know, there's not some great achievement that you can look to and think, well, at least I did that. It just kind of feels like there's kind of nothing. There's no kind of sense of joy and, and purpose. And, and, you know, you might think, well, at least I'm not like the other people that are pretending everything is fine and putting on, on, a, on a front and, and just being kind of fake. At least I'm real. But in actual reality, maybe being real is actually a lot more painful. And uh, maybe you have trouble sleeping as well, I don't, I don't know, or, or, or at the very far end of the spectrum, I think you push this thing far enough and there'll be people who end up feeling suicidal. Because if I can't find meaning, joy and significance in my life by being loved and accepted, then what is the point of living? Like, and we see both extremes of the camps, like super extreme anxiety, super extreme depression, and we see it epidemic in our society at the moment because people cannot find acceptance, they cannot find joy, they cannot find meaning in their life, they can't find answers to these questions. And, and I know that all of you here tonight will be struggling with this 
in one degree or another because who doesn't want to be liked and loved? Who doesn't want to get to the end of their life and imagine that at their funeral service it will be a packed room of people who have been influenced by your life, who've all got amazing things to say about you and the things that you've done. Who doesn't want that at the end of their life? And, and, and yet, don't you worry that it might not be like that? Um, like, we just live in a time, I guess, where there are many people who feel like they're living and they're dying, feeling like they're insignificant and they're unnoticed. And, and I don't think we've ever lived it, perhaps in, in a time in modern history, where people have felt the pain of that so badly. And you see that in the epidemic of loneliness and mental health. It is at an all-time high, primarily in men and also primarily in young people. I heard the other day that, that depression or mental health issues amongst um, Youth, young people and teenagers, like kids and teenagers, have increased by 46% since 2004. It's crazy. People are feeling incredibly lost right now, incredibly alone, devoid of that sense of meaning and joy because we can't find answers to those questions. And that's why I think this story here with John the Baptist is so kind of strange to us as we read it because John the Baptist is kind of like a guy who seemed to have it all, right? He's well known and he's loved like we even remember him now, 2,000 years later after he died. This evening we're still talking about him. He was clearly a very significant person and as you read through the Bible, you read through the book of Acts. And you see that in the book of Acts, uh, when Paul goes to Ephesus, some of the people in Ephesus, they've not heard of Jesus. They don't know about Jesus' baptism, but they know about John the Baptist's baptism. Okay? Or when, uh, uh, when you come across in the book of Acts as well, Apollos from North Africa, he again doesn't know about Jesus' baptism, but he knows about John the Baptist's baptism. Okay? So this guy's famous across the ancient world. He's well known. He was the first prophet for 400 years. He was a pretty fiery kind of, of preacher with a kind of radical message. He, he stood up from the crowd. He ate weird food and wore weird clothes, right? He'd be like a kind of vegan, hipster, skinny jean wearing kind of guy now if he was alive. And, and, and we know that people were really, really, really impressed with him because we see in uh, chapter one of John's gospel, they ask him, John, are you the Messiah? John, are you Elijah? You know, I kind of think maybe that will happen to me tonight, but I doubt it. He must have been a pretty good kind of preacher, right? If people came up to him and said, John, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? So they were impressed with him. This guy has everything going for him. He's got, you know, thousands of followers on Facebook and Instagram. Everybody buys his books when they come out and they line up and get them signed. And, and when he speaks at a conference, they queue up for miles to come and hear him speak. And, uh, and not only, and this is just my imagination, has he got a unique fashion sense, but I also imagine he was quite good looking and, and maybe people put posters on their bedroom walls of John the Baptist uh, and all the rest of it and, and you know and this isn't like being a Christian celeb today because we all know right you know Tim Hughes we all love Tim Hughes we're in certain circles Tim Hughes is a big deal but we all know that Tim Hughes is not Ed Sheeran there's a big difference between the two and uh, but that was not the case in, in John the Baptist today like Johnny B was the deal. Like he was, back, back then, Tim Hughes would have been Ed Sheeran, okay? So he's, he's well known. He's like properly famous, not just Christian famous. He's like actually famous. And <laughs> the thing that he was most famous for was, was baptism. That's why he's called John the Baptist. It wasn't because he was from the Baptist denomination. They didn't have John the Baptist and Steve the Free Methodist. That's not how, how it worked. Uh, um, because he loved to baptize people. It was like his kind of signature move, okay? So you think the Lake District is famous for two things, walking, cakes. If you don't like walking or cakes, you don't like the Lake District. John the Baptist famous for one thing, baptizing people, okay? 
And uh, he was also had his own kind of uh, set of uh, closer followers, disciples. You know, these were his close mates that would have followed him around. And, and you can imagine what it must have felt like to be one of his, you know, like I'm friends with John the Baptist and, and I'm one of his disciples. And they'd, you know, they must have felt like they were a pretty big deal as well because they were associated with this guy. And um, so, so they must have felt really important. And uh, maybe I'm exaggerating John's celebrity status because I don't think celebrity worked in the ancient world the same way <laughs> that it does today. But either way, he was, a, he was clearly a powerful and, and an influential person. And the people closest to him must have felt some of that as they, as they got alongside him. And so as we think tonight about how to find meaning and, and joy and significance in our lives, like we think, well, John is actually a pretty good picture of what that looks like, surely. You know, he's liked People follow him. You know, he's got a crowd of followers, for goodness sakes. He's loved. He's, he's respected. He's, he's known. And, and he's incredibly kind of self-assured and, and confident as a person because he's doing all this kind of like crazy public speaking and, and he wears weird clothes and eats weird food. He's not afraid to hold his head up. And, and he's, you know, he's, he's extremely self-confident. He's the kind of person that I guess lots of us would want to be or at least be friends with. But then you see what happens in this story. I'll pick it up in verse 5. Verse 5 to 25. It says, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man you were with was that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about. Look, he's baptizing and everybody is going to him. Okay? So John's crew walking along. And they're totally owning some Jewish guy who thinks he knows what he's talking about in regard to ceremonial washing. But they don't care because they're friends with John the Baptist, right? They can say what they like to anybody. So they're having an argument with this guy. And then one of them looks over there and they see this guy there in the water and this massive crowd gathering around him, right? And I imagine maybe it's much bigger than the crowds that would have ever have come to see John the Baptist. And, uh, and, and it's like a super, super big crowd. They're like, hang on, what's going on here? And then they watch for a little bit and they realize that the guy who's in the water there is baptizing people. And they're like, man, that's John's signature move. That's his thing. That's what John does. He's, and, and they're indignant. And then they realize who it is. They're like, oh, no, that's that guy that John was really picking up the other day and talking about. And there he is. He's, he's got all these people. And they think, this is really, really bad. Like they can see it all slipping away. Their, their influence, their reputation. You know, if this guy's baptism proves to be more popular than John's, then we're going to lose it all. And so they point out to John, they're like, John, you know, who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is? What are we going to do? We're going to lose everything. And then this is what John turns around and says to them. Verse 29, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens to him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice that joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. Or in some translations, he must increase and I must decrease. John is saying to his disciples, I've got to step back from everything. I've got to step back from everything that we assume the fulfilled life looks like. Because in stepping back, I'm going to find fulfillment and lasting joy. So he steps back from influence he steps back from fame. He steps back from being liked. He steps back from his reputation because he says it's like a wedding. It's like a wedding. The church is the bride. Jesus is, is the bridegroom. And John is, says, you know, I'm a bit like the best man. 
John's role was to prepare and make a way for Jesus. He was like the voice, you know, crying in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. He was like the best man getting ready for the bridegroom to come and meet the bride. And that was his whole purpose in life. And now his purpose is being fulfilled and it's bringing him immense joy and immense meaning and satisfaction into his life. So he says, you know, the joy, that joy is mine and it's now complete. He must increase and I must decrease because that is where my joy comes from. It's from fulfilling the purpose for which God has called called me to do, which is to step backwards and not forwards. And uh, as I read that, I think, you know, John is, is right, actually. Like, I think that joy, ultimate joy and ultimate meaning and ultimate satisfaction in your life will come back as you step back and decrease and let Jesus increase. And, and, and I know that seems backwards thinking because in all of our lives, we kind of assume that it's increase that brings the joy, but it's totally wrong, unless you're talking about eating ice cream, in which maybe... <laughs> increase and <laughs> eat ice cream is no like John's right there's this kind of like endless religiosity in life that says that you can earn joy um, you can earn that kind of sense of completeness that, that, that John talks about here as you do more and more stuff. And it is like a religion, okay? It says as you do more good stuff, you slowly climb up the ladder. And as you slowly climb up the ladder, it's then that you experience joy. And it, does, it works exactly like a religion, okay? But it's, it's, it's nothing like what we believe here at church, okay? This is a different kind of religion that says, you know, it's climbing up. Maybe it's the corporate ladder. The higher you climb up the corporate ladder, job promotion after job promotion, and as you get to the top, it's like you earn joy, you earn satisfaction, you earn meaning in, in your life or, or, or it's relationships again, you climb up the ladder of relationships and eventually you earn that kind of joy in your life or, or maybe it's the kind of gods of moralism, okay, and you slowly improve as a person and eventually you kind of get to this kind of higher platitude on top of the ladder where you experience joy in your life and John is saying, and I'm saying tonight, that is a load of rubbish, it's a load of rubbish because it's not as we increase that we find joy. Joy does not increase as we climb the ladder. Joy increases as the creator and the perfecter of joy moves into the neighborhood, which is how John opened his gospel. It says the creator of, uh, and the inventor of joy overflows. That's where we find joy. Joy, joy, joy happens as, you, as the creator and the inventor of joy is welcomed into your life. And you follow him and you listen to him and, and you invite him in. That's how you find joy. Joy comes, joy increases as Jesus increases. And this is really important. It comes by grace. It comes by grace. <laughs> like, that goes against the way almost everything else in the universe works. Because like, in every kind of everything that you've ever experienced before, <laughs> anything good doesn't come by grace. N nearly always. There's some kind of deal that goes on. But, but with Jesus, you've got to get this. It's as you decrease, as you make room for him, that he increases. And as he increases, joy increases. And I know that sounds wrong, but it's radical grace, right? He wants to give you a gift. And in order to receive the gift, you've got to put down all the other stuff that you're holding. Uh, or it's a bit like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to like, climb up this ladder in order to kind of reach this kind of elevated state where you think you're going to find joy. But you need to climb down the ladder so that Jesus can pick you up and carry you up his. That's the way that it works. And so you see, you've got to decrease so that he can increase you by his grace. And as you do that, that is what's going to bring joy and, and meaning and satisfaction into your life. As John says, verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. 
The one who comes from heaven is above all, right? Life is so often painful because we are constantly running away from the one who is above all, from the one that we belong, from the one who completes us. The world is like a bride looking for her husband and looking under rocks, looking behind closed doors, looking in lion's dens, looking in in caves, looking in dungeons, looking in all kinds of manner of dark places when the truth is, is that the bridegroom is waiting in the church at the altar and we just need to come to him. Jesus, the one who is above all, And beyond all, the one that we belong to, the one who comes from heaven, the one that created and invented joy and meaning and purpose and knows and understands you and loves you is waiting for you. You just need to invite him in. You just need to be willing to decrease enough to say, Jesus, come into my life. Bring your plans. Bring your purposes. Bring your joy. And have a relationship with me. That's when you start to see increase in your life. You know, I can remember... An amazing example of this a few weeks ago, Dan was on this stage giving his testimony. He was saying, you know, he became a Christian when he was living on the streets in Lancaster. Uh, and, you know, he was in a decreased state, okay? He had nothing. He had literally nothing. He was living on the streets. And he said, when I came to understand the gospel that Jesus, whose burden is, 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 is light and whose yoke is easy, wants to carry me, he said, I was walking around the streets with a grin on my face. I was so full of joy. I was smiling. I couldn't help myself. Like, that is what it looks like. Jesus can bring an increase in your life in the midst of the decrease. Works totally the other way to everything else. Everything else is good. And this is, this is part of what you have to understand as well. Often when you get really good things in life, because you've earned them, you worry you're going to lose them. That's why holidays are so stressful. You think it's going to be really great. But then you're like, well, the plane might be cancelled. okay? And you start to worry because, because you've earned it, there's a chance you might lose it. Whereas with Jesus, you never earned it in the first place. He gave it to you for free. So you can never, ever lose it. And guys, I, I think this has a, a, a number of implications for our lives. Like, firstly, some of us, we've got to start being okay with decreasing in order to experience more of the joy of the gospel in our lives. Um, <laughs> and me included. Like, I, I think, and it's not just seeing the joy of the gospel in my life, but in the lives of the people around me as well. Um, and uh, I don't know, I find it... I don't know, but maybe you find it easy. I find it very, very hard. Okay? I can remember last Sunday morning, we had a, uh, this time where we kind of prayed for people, commissioned them to go out into Lancaster as missionaries. And I was, uh, I'd had a crazy few days. I was feeling really tired and, uh, and quite moved by what Kevin had said that morning as well. And we went with some of our friends to the music festival, um, Alicia and Flora and I, and we were just kind of sat there with, um, listening to the music. One of our friends was playing. And, and I was just kind of sat there uh, uh, listening. And I, I was just in a bit of a daydream. And we were kind of with our friends, but I didn't really talk to them because I was just in a bit of a daydream and I was kind of quite tired. And then, and then we get back and Alicia was like, you know, what was wrong with you? This is like a really good, you know, time to talk and, uh, and meet. And then I got, you know, I started thinking, I'm like, why, why, why is it that I find it so easy to share the gospel with strangers? Because I don't know them and they don't know me and I'll never see them again, unless they become Christian, in which case is great. Uh, but, <laughs> but with like people that I know, I find it so hard. I find it so hard. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's because I'm not willing to, to decrease in order to see him increase. And, and oh, it frustrates me because I know that when I do, that I, I'll start operating in that kind of way where I start to see more of the joy of the gospel in, and not in just my life as I see him start to change people around me, but also in the lives of, of other people as, as I decrease and, and see him increase in the lives of others. And I'm, you know, I don't know. 
I just I, I, I want to see it. And it feels like maybe I'm clinging onto something still of climbing my own ladder, you know, thinking that I can't let go of these relationships because there's something about it that's still giving me a sense of identity and purpose and meaning that I've created. I've got to let go of it. I've got to let go of it and know that I'm on Jesus' ladder now. And that's much better. I can't fall down. But guys, there's... I don't know. For some of us, it will be very, very different. I've no doubt there are that some of us in an entirely different situation here tonight. And uh, this isn't easy to talk about, and I don't want to be glib, but there'll be some of you here tonight who think, do you know what? I, you know, you're talking about the need to decrease so that Jesus can increase. Like, I am fine on the decrease part. <laughs> like, I'm at rock bottom. And, and there is nothing that you can do to make the situation any worse and maybe it's because of health circumstances maybe family circumstances I, I don't know maybe over the last six months things have just got harder and harder and harder and and now you feel like you're at rock bottom already you've tried everything and nothing's worked and and maybe one of the things that you need to understand tonight is is perhaps as you've thought about trying to get yourself out of this hole if that is you if you are if maybe you're tonight struggling with maybe that is you you're struggling with depression this evening and, or, or you're struggling with just something incredibly difficult in your life. And you always thought, if I was to get myself out of this hole, it would be through climbing up the ladder, finding my own way to drag myself out of this hole. And, and it's through achieving you know, enough stuff, and, and then slowly my life will be elevated, and I'll experience that joy, that meaning, and that purpose in life. Uh, and maybe that's been you. That's what you've thought. Well, you need to know something different tonight. You know? And I, I'm no expert or no counselor, so... so you know, but the one thing that I do know is, is Jesus. And I know, having known Jesus, that there is no darkness that is too dark for him. That he can walk in and he can lift you up and carry you out of whatever situation you've put yourself in. And if you are in that moment of decrease this evening, you need to know that he can. I, I, and I have faith to believe that he can. Maybe not tonight, maybe not an instant, but maybe in an instant. I've seen that happen before. But maybe he can step into your life and he can start to carry you up out of the muck and out of the mire and out of the dirt and out of the darkness. For that is what the gospel is. That's what the gospel is. And, and maybe that's not going to change everything in an instant, but that's hope to believe. And hope to believe has a massive impact when you're in the middle of the dirt. To believe, do you know what? I cannot get myself out of this situation. I have decreased and there is nothing that I can do. But there is one who can increase. And as he increases and he moves into your life, he will take you on that journey of increase. And I'm not saying, you know, become a Christian and everything gets sorted out. Of course I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there's a deep joy and a deep peace and a deep understanding that God has got me. It doesn't matter what happens. So, t- you know, two implications. Some of us have got to be willing to decrease. Some of us have got to be know that, that actually, despite the decrease, I can increase because God has got me. But third implication um, is, is, is also this. To know that um, it's, it's kind of a, a collective and, and a cultural thing rather than an individual thing is to say, just look at what's happening in our country at the moment, okay? Like, you know, Brexit. I'm not sure anybody is particularly happy with the situation. doesn't matter how you voted. I don't think anybody really feels like they got what they voted for. Uh, and, and, and climate change, okay? Uh, you know, all the stuff Extinction Rebellion are doing is a bit crazy, I know, but they do have a point. And, um, and lots of young people are extremely distressed by it. That we can know for sure. You know, I was um, speaking to somebody the other day, a student, and she was telling me, you know, one of my friends, they think that because of what's happening in the world at the moment, that they shouldn't have children 
because it would be unfair to bring them into the world. That's how little hope that they have. And, and I look at um, also the kind of ideological shifts that are happening. So, so the rise of fake news and, and political campaigns that are no longer fought upon facts, but upon kind of feelings and manipulation and fake news. And it seems like truth no longer seems to matter anymore. And, and I look at kind of the rates of suicide and anxiety and depression and uh, the, you know, the highest that they've ever been since records began or, or whatever. And, and, and in many ways, what I think that we, what I, and I'm not an expert or an anthropologist or anything like that but what I kind of feel like I am seeing especially as I see international students driving around campus and they're like 19 plate BMW X5 I feel like we are seeing the demise of Europe that's kind of what we're witnessing before our eyes is the power is shifting to the east and it's a it's not like a dramatic collapse of civilizations like we've we've seen in the past but there is a slow demise that we see all around us. Public services are closing um, as we kind of, we're unable to maintain the systems that we once put in place and, and, and luxuries and affordances that we've grown accustomed to, but we don't seem like we can have them anymore, plastic bags being one of them. And, and it, you know, and public services, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if they'll actually get better. Maybe probably the NHS will get privatized and, and, and we'll never quite regain our glory days as Europe. And, and, uh, and, and I think it's, make, it's already making life extremely difficult for a lot of people and in some ways I think it's just going to get worse I do I think the climate's going to get worse and that's going to have economic impacts and and it 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 is quite depressing it's quite depressing when you look at what's happening in the world but do you know what I also have immense hope I also have immense hope because I know that (laughs) and I kind of it sounds bad, but I'm kind of making it on because, because I'm like, come on, no deal Brexit. Let's, no, I don't really. But uh, like, it's, it's okay as things get worse because as we decrease, it leaves all the more room for Jesus in our society to increase. And as he increases, it's going to bring joy. Into back into people's lives. And that's what I'm excited about. I'm like, this is great, Lord. I can, I can see what you're doing here because as things get worse, there becomes room for Jesus because we decrease and he will increase. But guys, we have to be the ones. And this is where we have to commission ourselves as a church to say, in this particular time in which we're living, we've got to understand we are the people that have to step into the decrease and become the increase. Like John, we've got to be the people crying out in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Jesus is the thing that we need right now. But we have to be also really aware that people don't have an appetite to go back to where we once were. And, and we've already tried religion, and it didn't work, okay? And, and I agree with that. It never worked. Religion never worked. And so we cannot take people back to that place. Instead, we need to take them to Jesus. And <laughs> there's an immense, like, hatred for the church and for religion. But when you speak to people, you find there's an immense openness about spirituality and the person of Jesus. In fact, apparently 46% of the population believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Can you believe it? Crazy, isn't it? And so we have to, have to, have to, before we can take it to our culture, we have to know it ourselves. And we have to walk, you know, like, like everything might be going wrong around us, but like Dan walking out on the streets with a grin on his face, even though he was homeless, we have to be those people who walk in the increase of the gospel that's been given to us and shout aloud, Jesus is Lord, everything is going to be fine. 
<laughs> and, you know, I look at the, I've said this before, but I look at those people on Dalton Square protesting because they think there's no future for the planet because everything is going to go down the drain. And, and, and sure, we need to do something. But do you know what? There's going to be a new creation one day. God is going to come back. He's going to make everything new. There'll be no more weeping, no more mourning, no more crying. Everything is going to be perfected. But guys, we have to be the bronze who walk into the decrease, bring the increase of Jesus. And that's not easy. It's not easy. And, and, you know, I think John is a great, let's have the band back up. I think John is, is, is the great example, isn't he? Because John is the one who, 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 with this immense joy and, and thrill and sense of purpose and excitement, says the controversial things. Throws everything that he can into preparing people to meet Jesus. And we have to be those people who do that right now in this cultural moment. Come what may... Let's proclaim the name of Jesus. No matter what happens, let's keep shouting his name. Let's keep raising uh, his voice up in this culture. Not so that we might grow as a church. Not so that we might increase our reputation. I stopped caring about that a long time ago. But for the sake of the glory of Christ, with a deep sense of joy, with a smile on our faces, and with a spring in our step, let's make much of Jesus. Shall we stand? Let me pray for you.